If you would, please stand with me as we read 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'll begin in verse 14 and read through verse 17. 2 Timothy 3 verse 14. Here is the word of the Lord for us this morning. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You may be seated. In the 16th century, Pope Leo X wanted to refresh the tomb where laid the deceased prince of the apostles. But if the Pope was going to rebuild St. Peter's Basilica, he knew that it would be very expensive. So he had to raise the funds, and he decided to raise the money by selling indulgences. See, the Roman Catholic Church believes that Christ on the cross did a work that is applied to us in baptism, that when we are baptized, the work of Christ on the cross washes us clean of all the stains of sin that we were born with, that had been passed on to us from the original sin of our father Adam. But the Roman Catholic Church believes that every sin that a Catholic commits after baptism, they have to pay for it. And they have to pay for it in purgatory. So that their suffering in purgatory would purge their souls clean enough so that they could go into heaven. And the Pope, with this in mind, wanted to sweeten a deal of selling indulgences, which were these official Catholic certificates that if you bought them, it would cut down your sentence in purgatory Those indulgences existed out there, but because Pope Leo wanted to build this new building, he needed a lot of money. And so he created a limited edition indulgence. This special indulgence had the power to take off 1,902,202 years and 270 days from the awful suffering that Catholics had earned in their life of sin. This is what they said. This is harsh. This is what they said. If you or someone you loved had raped the mother of God, if you had enough money then you could skip the unpleasantries of purgatory and enter directly the the pearly gates. And it didn't matter if you confessed what you did is wrong. It didn't matter if you felt any remorse. If you had enough money, you could buy 
repentance. On October 31st, 1517, a monk named Martin Luther challenged this. He challenged indulgences. And the question he was basically asking is, says who? Says who? Who says that we can buy our way into heaven? Luther said, I am bound by the Scriptures. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything that I have said. Here I stand. May God help me. The first protest of the Protestant Reformation. Protestant means protest. It's a reformation, a reforming of our view of salvation according to Scripture against what the whole Christian world believed in that day. The very first protest in the Protestant Reformation was, says who? And that question, friends, is just as relevant 500 years later as it was then. Says who? Friend, I'm going to ask you this morning, is your hope for heaven, is it based upon what God has really said? Or is it based upon what man has said that God has said? Scripture is the church's only trustworthy and final authority. That is the gospel truth that The Bible, I think, lays out in reference to the Bible, Scripture. It is the church and therefore the Christians' only trustworthy and only final authority. So I'm going to walk through four beliefs that Protestants have about the Bible. These are four distinctions that were born out of the Protestant Reformation. These are truths from Scripture that needed to be vocalized in that day, and they need to be vocalized today. You need to follow what God says about His Word. It will make every difference in your life. First of all, Scripture alone is inspired by God. There is only one revelation in the world that is inspired by God. Pope Leo sent a man named Prireus to answer Luther's statements. And this is what the spokesman for Rome said. He who does not accept the doctrine of the Church of Rome and the Pope of Rome as an infallible Rule of faith, that means it will not lead you astray, from which the Holy Scriptures as well draw their strength and authority as a heretic. If you do not believe what the Church of Rome says and what the Pope of Rome says, and if you do not believe that the Word of God only gets its authority from the Pope and the Church, then you are a heretic. Another cardinal in the Catholic Church 30 years later said this, the Scriptures have no more authority than Aesop's fables unless the Church says it does. In the 1960s, Vatican II, this is what the 
the Catholic Church set forth as their belief that the Word of God comes to us in sacred Scripture and in sacred tradition. The Word of God comes to us not just in the Scriptures, but also in tradition. Now, that is a technical term that I'm going to be using a lot this morning, so I want you to understand what tradition is. Tradition are the beliefs that the Catholic Church, or, or we have tradition as well. We, we read a confession of faith. This is, this is what would be considered tradition. But these tradition, they believe that God is infallibly speaking through, is the official beliefs of the Catholic Church that have come through these church councils where various priests would get together in a, in a town and decide on various questions of theology. It's those conclusions that they've met, made and anything that the Pope has said ex cathedra, out of his chair. The Pope will, from time to time, sit down in his chair and it is as if he is taking the place of Christ on the throne. And in those moments, whatever he says, the whole Catholic Church is to believe as coming directly from God when he speaks ex cathedra. Scripture alone is inspired by God. That word inspiration comes from the King James translation of the, the passage we just read in chapter 3, 16 of 2 Timothy. All Scripture is breathed out, or the King James has, comes from the inspiration of God. Beloved, we can know that the Bible is from God in only one way, if God says it is. But because God says that the Bible is from Him, then it is, and it is not from man. Second Peter chapter 1, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God. God was the source of their speaking as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What this means is that God did not come alongside Isaiah's writings and say what he said. God does not come to Paul's letters and say what Paul said. That, that's what I think too. He's not adopting the Scriptures as man's writings that he is then just agreeing to. No, God is breathing all of Scripture. So we believe in verbal plenary inspiration. Verbal plenary inspiration. Let me explain. Verbal means the very words, the very words of Scripture. They came from God. Plenary. That means all of them. All of the words. Not just what some people think, that the idea of salvation that we can glean from the Bible, that, that came from God, but not all the words. It's, it, it's not just the words that the scientists will say is acceptable. It is every word in every book that makes up this one book that we call the Bible. It all came not from the mind of man. It all came from the mouth of God. 
And God did not dictate Romans to Paul like a boss would dictate a letter to his secretary. Don't think of Paul or the authors of Scripture as being in this trance and, and they're just writing down whatever. They're not even thinking about what they're writing down. God's just giving it to them like a boss would dictate to a secretary. Now, we're told that men spoke. They really spoke from God. But what, what was happening is they were being carried along while they were speaking by the Holy Spirit. So God is using very different people to write the Bible. And He's using shepherds. He's using fishermen. He's using a tax collector and a doctor. He's wisely choosing Moses because he was brought up in Pharaoh's court. He is using David's suffering to write the Psalms. He's using Peter's rejection to talk to people who are suffering under persecution. He's using John's affection to teach us about loving God. He's using their personalities. And he's using the experiences of these real men. And he's carrying them along so that every word that they wrote was exactly what God wanted written. Friends, the Bible cannot be our final authority unless it comes from God. It cannot be our final authority unless it comes from our final authority. And we could not know that it comes from God unless He told us it did. You see how we need passages like this. Because if we didn't have it, we would be using some other authority. We'd be listening to someone else who said, that's what you should treat as God's Word. We cannot know that the Bible comes from God unless God tells us it does, and He has told us. Scripture is the church's only trustworthy and final authority. The second truth that the Bible teaches about itself is that Scripture and Scripture alone is inerrant. Now, you can search far and wide for something that is wrong with Texans, something that Texans do not do well. Good luck. Well, maybe we're not great at humility, but there's something else we're not great at. I know this as a Texan. We're not great at driving in the snow. Last year, I learned this. Last year at this time, maybe this week, I was in Colorado, and at this time in Colorado, there's still snowstorms. We were driving around the side of a mountain, and there were these huge drop-offs, and I was terrified. Got my whole family in the car. I was sure we were dead. We don't know how to drive in snow. Imagine, in my humility, recognizing that and saying, well, these Coloradoans, they know how to do this. If a Coloradoan was there and he were to give me some advice, and because I believed that he was an authority, I did whatever he said. And his advice was that what I should do is close my eyes and put the pedal to the metal, and I'd be fine. Catholic Church has more books in the Bible than you're looking at. And one of the passages that is in there is 2 Maccabees 12 that says, It is therefore a holy and 
wholesome thought to pray for the dead. Have you been to a Catholic funeral? To pray for the dead that they may be loosed or saved from their sins. And the Catholic Church infallibly, they say, which means perfectly from God, this will, they will not lead you astray in this, they say that that passage in their Bible means that Christians must, after death, have to pay for their sins. The tradition of the Roman Catholic Church cannot be inerrant, which means without error, without flaws. It cannot be infallible. It cannot, in other words, be a trustworthy guide to us to keep us safe from falling off the cliff into hell because it contradicts the word that God breathed out. Do you see this? If it goes against something that God has said, it cannot be inerrant in the way that they are saying it is inerrant. And beloved, you may, you may feel a little uncomfortable that we're talking about the Roman Catholic Church. You may know Catholics who you love, who believe this. I'm not trying to say this against any individual person. I'm trying to communicate what they and their official documents believe. And it would be arrogant if what they believe goes against what God says if we were silent about it. It is not humble to be silent where God has been clear. And the Roman Catholic Church would run your soul into hell. Listen to what the book of Hebrews says. God says in Hebrews chapter 9, Christ has entered, not into the holy places made with hands, into the temple of God, not one on earth. He's gone into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God for us. And He did not go to offer Himself as a sacrifice for us repeatedly, like that high priest in Israel would enter into the holy places every year with blood that was not His own. For then, if that were the case, then Christ would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. Because He's lived forever. But as it is, He has appeared once for all time, at the end of the ages, to put away sin forever by the sacrifice of Himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Jesus because He is a good priest, gave a good offering to God. He didn't give multiple offerings multiple times. He gave one offering, only once because it was sufficient. Jesus on the cross offered His blood to God as a sacrifice to cleanse the consciences of all sinners who would trust in Him. And when God accepted that and raised Jesus from the dead... God is saying He gave that once for all time. And we're not waiting for any more to be done for our sins. All we're waiting for is for Christ to come back to save us. 
We do not, after death, go to suffer for our own sins. If you are counting on that, you are lost. We are waiting on the only one who can save us. He will return and He will save us because He's done away with our sin. That is what God says about salvation. And it is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to lie. Scripture alone is inerrant because of who inspired it. And you see, if God inspired, breathed out Scripture, then it must be inerrant because God cannot send lies out of His mouth. All of the Bible is all true. And therefore, only the Bible is a reliable guide to know how to be saved. And what I've just read to you directly conflicts with the official view of the church of Rome. You have to choose one view of salvation or the other. There is either purgatory to pay for your sins or there is a Savior who has paid for your sins. And you are not honoring Him if you think you have to do more on your own. All of the Bible is all true. All of the Bible in the original manuscripts, that is the original Romans that Paul wrote, the original 1 Peter that Peter wrote, the original documents, they're all true. We have translations that were based upon manuscripts or copies of those original documents. Beloved, we have so many manuscripts, we can tell what the original said. You can trust that what you are reading is true in God's Word. The third point we need to understand about what God says about His Word is that Scripture alone is clear. Scripture alone is inspired. Scripture alone is inerrant. And Scripture alone is clear. Not according to the Roman Catholic Church. Roman Catholic Church believes that the Spirit has not made the Bible clear. Not for you, anyway. The Spirit has not made you, if you're a Christian, able to understand the Bible. You need the priests and the Pope and tradition. That's what they believe. That is like when a child is playing a game with his father. And he covers up his eyes and he starts saying, Daddy has disappeared. Daddy has not disappeared. Daddy is right there. The problem is that the child's eyes are in a condition where they cannot see. 1 Corinthians 2 teaches us why the Scripture is not able to be understood by so many. Because... Spiritual truths make sense only to those who are spiritual. Which means only to those who have the Spirit of God living in them. Which means only Christians. But every Christian is given God's Spirit to make God's Word clear. Friends, God's Spirit makes God's Word clear to God's people. That's why the psalmist says, 
Your word, O Lord, is a lamp to my feet. The word of God is a lamp. It really does light the path to my feet, he says, because I trust in you. I'm not going to fall off the cliff. Your word is lighting away to life. It is doing that. It gives understanding to the simple, the psalmist says. The word itself gives understanding to the simple, not just the educated, the uneducated. Not just to adults. You read the Bible and it says to gather the children around and explain the Bible to them. Not just to the religious Jews. No, send the word out to the nations who have never heard this truth. It is clear. And yet God's word also says that Christians at times harden our hearts. We can hear and understand what is clear. And God says today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not rebel in unbelief. Do not disobey. You can hear what is clear and choose not to believe it and choose not to obey it. So the clarity of Scripture has to do with the quality of a person's heart before God. How clear that is to you may have to do with where your heart is before God. And yet even in spite of all that, in spite of our sin, there are other reasons why passages of Scripture are considered hard. And it's not just because of our sin, but because we're finite. We're limited. We don't have the mind of God. We can't think on the level that He does. And yet, through prayer through continued study, through faithful teachers of God's Word. Christians know this experience of of there being something that seemed hard to us in the past, and yet we come to realize it is not just true, it is lovely. Help me to see wondrous things in your law. God's Word has from the beginning been effective. It has to be clear. Because from the very opening chapter, we see what God does when He speaks. He makes things happen. It accomplishes all that He means to do. So if He's going to reveal Himself and His Son, if that's what He wants to do, He's going to be clear. And what that means for everyone here, if you hear the voice of God, He has clearly said who He is. He has clearly said to you who you are as a sinner in need of salvation, from hell, from sin, to Him. You must not harden your heart. You must bring your life in line with what He has clearly said. And that starts, and what is most important is for you to believe what He said about His Son, to trust in Christ and repent of of your sin and to trust in Him alone and nothing in yourself to make you right before God. William Tyndale said this, I defy the Pope and all of his laws, and if God will spare my life, I will cause a farmer boy to know more of the Scripture than the Pope does. 
the Bible in Tyndale's day was only in Latin or Greek or Hebrew. And so if you didn't speak Latin or Greek, or you couldn't read Greek or Hebrew, you could not hear God's Word. You had to go to Catholic church and some of the priests and some of the towns could read Latin. The others just memorized phrases and said it to the people. And Tyndale said, no, the Word of God is in the Bible, so I want to give my life to getting the Bible in the language of a farmer boy so you can hear from God. I want you to hear something that Hebrews says. This is fascinating. Hebrews 3, verse 7. Right before he says, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. He says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes, today if you hear His voice. That, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, comes from Psalm 95. Are you fascinated? Let me tell you why I should be fascinated. The author of the book of Hebrews quotes a thousand-year-old document. Psalm 95. And when he quotes a book of the Bible, a chapter in the Bible, he says that the Holy Spirit is speaking when he communicates something that's a thousand years old written in a book. The Holy Spirit said that in Psalm 95. But listen to the verb. The Holy Spirit says, God, right now, is speaking to you when I read you a book from a thousand years ago. The Holy Spirit today is in our presence speaking to us whenever His Word is open. Beloved, you can understand it in your language. Are you listening? Do you know what a privilege you have to listen to God every single day? to feast upon God's Word with the church every single Sunday. We hear God from heaven speaking directly to us. The Roman Catholic Church affirms partially the first two points that I made, that the Scriptures are inspired and the Scriptures are inerrant. The Roman Catholic Church agrees with that, but not with the Word alone. Because they believe that tradition, their official beliefs and what the Pope has said ex cathedra is also inspired, is also inerrant, but you should also know that these last two points, they completely deny. The Scripture is clear. They say it's not. You need a priest. And the Scripture is sufficient. That's point number four. Scripture alone is sufficient. If you've been around long enough, then you might remember the game show to tell the truth. Or tell the truth. This is one of these old game shows where they would have these three guys who were all dressed up as mechanics. And there would be these contestants who would ask them questions about their work as mechanics. And their, their goal after all their questions was to guess who the real mechanic was. And the host would say, will the real mechanic please stand up? Unum Sanctum. Unum Sanctum is a belief of the Roman Catholic Church that in order to be saved, you have to be a member of the 
Catholic Church, and you have to submit to the Pope. Well, a wrench got thrown in the fan, so to speak, in the years 1378 to 1417, in the Great Western Schism. This was kind of like a high-stakes version of to tell the truth, because they had three popes. And no one could agree who the Pope was. That's a major problem. Because if you have to be a member of the Catholic Church and submit to the Pope, which one do you submit to? All of those Popes excommunicated the other Popes. And what that meant is is everyone who was calling that person the Pope was excommunicated as well. That means you were condemned by two Popes if you were a Catholic living in that time. Mark chapter 7, Jesus is confronting these religious leaders of his day. And and they were requiring the, the Jews to obey what he called a tradition of man. And Jesus was confronting them because he noticed that that tradition, that law that the Pharisees had written, it forced them, by obeying that law, it forced them to leave God's command. For the Pope to equate his words with a word that is breathed by God is to lift himself above the Bible. It is not equating with the Bible. Once you do that, you are lifting yourself above the Bible because he's saying you don't need the Bible. All you need is what I say the Bible says. So he becomes the Bible. More than that, he becomes God. Your God, listen, we're not just talking about 500-year-old argument. We're not talking about what the Roman Catholics believe today. We're talking about something that you need to be aware of. Your God is whoever tells you what to believe. And it may or may not be in Scripture, even if you think it is. Let me give you an understatement. Man's truth can conflict with God's. Man's truth can conflict with God's. To make tradition your tradition or another religion's tradition equal to Scripture, Jesus says in Mark 7, you are voiding the Word of God by your tradition. You're not making it equal. You are voiding it out by your tradition. So follow me. Because the Bible is inspired by God, it is inerrant. And because God's speech is always effective, the Bible is clear. And all of that leads us to this point. The Bible is sufficient. In other words, all, all that you need to know about salvation, all that you need to know about living for Jesus, is in the Bible. The Bible is enough. The Bible is enough. All Scripture was breathed out by God. So that purpose. Why did He breathe it out? So that the man of God, the believer, may be complete. You want to be complete. You want to be made over time the fullness of what you will be as a Christian, into the image of Christ. What do you need? 
A God-breathed word. You want to be equipped for any good work? What do you need? You only need one thing. A God-breathed word. And it's good for every good work. There isn't a good work out there that God wants you to do that He has not breathed out commands about in His Word. The sacred writings are able, He says, to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. You want to be saved, you need to believe in Christ and Christ alone. How do I believe in Christ alone? The sacred writings are able to make you wise to believe in Christ alone. Scripture is sufficient. Which means tradition is not necessary. Hear me. Scripture is sufficient. And that means that tradition is not necessary. You don't need it. You might be helped by it, though. You might be helped by it, though. Tradition can be helpful if it agrees with Scripture. Insofar as a statement of faith agrees with or accurately explains Scripture, then it can be helpful to you. You don't need it, but it can help you. So, according to Scripture alone, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, is a statement of faith. And I believe it accurately explains what Scripture teaches about salvation. And so, therefore, it is helpful to us. That is a truth that... I think you must believe, but not because Luther says so, or Calvin says so, or I say it's so. It's because God says so. That is what God says in His Word. Martin Luther has this famous statement. He said, While I was sleeping, or while I was drinking Wittenberg beer, that's what I was doing, sleeping and drinking beer. And at the same time, the Word of God so greatly weakened the papacy, which is the Pope, that never a prince or an emperor inflicted such damage upon it. I did nothing. The Word of God did it all. This is how we relate to tradition. Tradition is a minister. The text is the majesty. Tradition is a minister. It serves the purposes of its king. It only is good if it's serving the purposes of its king. The majesty is the text because Christ is king and He spoke this word. It is His word. So we can say it is king over us. The question is, is the word of Christ enough for you? This is a real question. I want you to listen to me. It's a real question. I'm saying this to myself. Just because we're in a Bible church doesn't mean it's enough for us. Every one of us every day are going to be answering this question, is the Word of Christ enough for me? If you believe that the Scripture is inerrant, it's not just enough to say that. Do you treat it like it's sufficient? If you believe that Scripture is enough, take care that your experience is not allowed to speak ex cathedra. Do not allow your experience to take the throne. It's a common saying, no one can argue with your experience. Can God argue with your experience? 
Will you allow God to fiddle with your interpretation of what you feel, you experience, what you should do because of that event in your life? Can God do that? Just because you experience something as good does not mean it is good if Scripture says it is not. Just because you find it easier not to be around people does not mean that you are actually excused from what all disciples are called to do, which is sacrificially love people. You can't do that if you don't surround yourself with them. Just because your spouse is not fulfilling your fantasies does not actually mean that pornography is okay for you. Just because someone is moved and feels something during a religious experience, whether taking the Lord's Supper or praying a prayer or whatever it is, does not actually mean they are saved. If their life does not match up with what God has said, it's true of people who are saved. Just because you can find someone who uses a verse in Scripture to confirm what you want to be true does not mean that the Bible teaches it. The Protestant has a Pope. Protestants have a Pope. Too often, it is an inner sense of peace. That is king. If I feel good about it, if it feels right to me, Your feelings are not the gospel. Friends, listen. Your experience is not inspired by God. You and I are sinful. That affects our feelings. That affects our experiences and our interpretations. Jesus is sinless. Listen to Him. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone means if anything we believe conflicts with any passage in Scripture, our tradition must go. That means you do not take for granted anything you believe. You keep going to the Word of God. And when you are confronted in it, you let it go. You listen to God for the sake of your soul. But, beloved, what Sola Scriptura also means is that it is true regardless of what you feel. It means it is true. What God says is true regardless of when you feel like it's not true. And that should be really encouraging to you. Every word that God breathed, He breathed for the reason of revealing a Savior who is an all-sufficient Savior. And that means from God that the most important thing in your life is salvation and the most important thing in your life, there's no close second, is your relationship with Jesus. And we heard Jesus say in John chapter 6, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. That is a hard saying. The flesh will do you no good in understanding it. The Spirit will help you understand it. He said, unless you eat His flesh and drink His blood, you don't have life. You don't have salvation. And many of His disciples heard the hard saying, and they, can, they did not continue following Jesus. What are you going to do when he says a hard saying to you? He turns to Peter, and Peter seems to recognize it's a hard saying. Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. 
It doesn't matter whether you feel like you're doing well with the Lord. It doesn't matter if you're overwhelmed by your sin. The scriptures are still true. And Jesus said this, This is the will of my Father. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. I will raise Him up on the last day. In those moments when you're overwhelmed by your discouragement and your sorrow at this world and you're starting to doubt whether God is real or whether Jesus is going to save someone as wretched as you, you go back to what God has said. Truly, truly, I say to you, it's true. Whoever believes has eternal life. Your fathers ate man in the wilderness and they died. I'm the man that's come out of heaven. If you eat me, you take in my body. If you believe in my blood, then I will save you. He will keep you, beloved, because God says so. Scripture is the church's only trustworthy and final authority. Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us faith in the one who your word lifts up. We pray that we would be faithful that the hard sayings would not turn us away from Jesus. We pray that everyone else would bring all of our thoughts about the truth, all of our confidence about the truth, and let every experience and every feeling be interpreted by you. We pray that we'd set every, everything aside. We would walk away from everything you say is false. Make us a people of the book, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.